Well, tonight, uh, as you know, Pastor Jeff and uh, Connie are leaving tomorrow for their anniversary honeymoon. So pray for them as they depart. Um, and tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, just stuff that we go through as believers in Jesus Christ. So tonight's Bible study is called Tested by Fire. So because you have your Bible, everyone have your Bible? Let me see your Bible. We're going to check. I'm going to check you at the door. Okay. So in your Bible, turn to the book of First Peter, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, and tell you a little story. So I don't know about you, but when you're growing up, you have uh, relatives that you hang out with or friends. Uh, I remember my middle school years, we would spend our summers in the beautiful city of San Diego. I had some cousins that lived over there. And one night as we were hanging out, uh, we decided we ought to do a bonfire, right? But um, we're, we're kind of uh, uh, limited on resources. So what we did in my cousin's backyard, we dug a hole. And we started to put pieces of wood. We went to 7-Eleven. We got our marshmallows, our graham crackers, and our Hershey chocolate. Because you got to have Hershey chocolate, right, to make s'mores. So we're doing our s'mores and whatnot. And then what comes over a junior high boy's mind? What else can we burn, right? So here we are. We finished that. So we took a couple of marshmallows, threw it in there, saw that burn. And we said, oh, let's get a pencil. So we threw a pencil in there, like, boom. It went like that, and then my, I thought, would it be really cool if we got a, this is going to date me, a cassette tape? Anyone remember what a cassette tape is, right? All right, old school here. So we put that in, and all of a sudden, this dark colored smoke started coming up, and it was really toxic, right? And we were like coughing and all that, and all of a sudden, my older cousin comes down, she says, what are you guys doing? And we're just burning stuff. And she goes, I'll be right back. So she goes upstairs, she comes down, and she has this necklace, right? She has this necklace, and she's like, I just broke up with my boyfriend, so I want to burn this necklace that he gave me, right? So she throws it in there, and it starts, it starts, it catches, well, it doesn't catch on fire, because was, it was fake gold. It's probably gold-plated, gold nothing, gold color, what it is, but it starts to, you could see it turn colors, started to turn green, like her neck. No, it didn't turn green, but it started to turn a little red, but it didn't burn, we went the very next morning, and guess what? It was still there. There are things in life when it's put to the fire that burn just like that. And there's things in life, and I'll say in our Christianity, it doesn't burn away. And what Peter is talking about is our faith. If your faith, if your love for Jesus is real, it will not burn away. And that burning comes from the fiery trials that we face you may be sitting here today, and you're here tonight because you're going through something. Something crazy, something that you can't even describe in words, but you know you need Jesus. You know you need to be here. Let me tell you, if you're going through a trial, or if you're not going to trial, church is the best place to be. Is it not? Amen? Because this is where you get healed. This is where you hear some counsel. This is, here, this is where you get to be ministered to, not by a speaker, but by the Word of God. And by the Holy Spirit. And so as we take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. I'm going to actually start at verse 1 and just give you some context here as to what's going on. But 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This clues you in to who the author of this book is. It says, to the pilgrims of dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father... In the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, bam, that's Trinity right there, Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, 
Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for who? For you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom you have not seen, you love. Though you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that it is the salvation of our souls, that we're here today. So I thank you, God, that though we face trials, though we have to weather storms in this life, you are with us. Would you remind us again today that you are with us. You never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Jesus, that your presence is more than enough, God. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. As I mentioned, Peter is the author of this letter, and he's writing to a group of people. But a little bit about Peter, most of you guys know he was a fisherman, and when he encountered Jesus, Jesus said, drop your nets, because I want you to be a fisher of men. And as Peter started to walk with the Lord, remember the one episode when they saw Jesus walking on water in the sea? And what did Peter say? Jesus, if that's you, and you're not a ghost, can I walk on water also? So Peter boldly walks on water, and quickly sinks in the water. And what does he say? Lord, save me. Peter is also known as the guy when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, right? He he took up his clothing, he girded his clothing, he picked up the towel, began to wash the disciples' feet. Peter said, oh, Jesus, no, 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 no. You, You can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, simply, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have any part of me. And what did Peter say? He almost commanded, then wash all of me. Wash my hair, wash my feet, wash my hands. Peter was that type of guy to say the wrong thing at the wrong time all the time, right? Anybody like that? Amen, right? Okay, so the beautiful thing is, in that same meal, Jesus tells Peter, hey, Pete, uh, three times you're going to deny me. And what did Peter say? I'm never going to sell you out. In the very few hours, what happens? Peter denies him once, twice, three times the lady. No, joking. So as, uh, that's an old school joke there. Okay, so as, as he's there, he's feeling grief, feeling pain. He, he sold out Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been in those moments when you have let people down, let alone let Jesus down. But the beautiful part of this is after Jesus is resurrected, Peter's out there. He's back at where he was. The first place that Jesus found him, after all is said and done, is the next place Jesus finds him again, fishing. And Jesus says, yo, catch any fish? 
comebacks in. And they realize, he realizes it's Jesus providing a breakfast for him and the disciples. And Peter can't wait to get back on shore. As he gets back on shore, he realizes it's Jesus. And he provides this meal. And there is this public restoration. And how do we know that? Because Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And take care of my sheep. Peter, love, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. So I love this. Even in our worst moments, because I tell you, that's, a, that's, that's not even half the stuff Peter did. Jesus says, you're back on track. And maybe that's your trial tonight. You, you've been distant. You've been away from God. And he's saying, come back home. This is where you belong. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church. Maybe you've allowed the trials and tribulations of this world to overwhelm you. Let the Holy Spirit overwhelm you tonight and overcome those things that are going on. I love this. Peter is writing specifically to a group of people. He calls them pilgrims, right? When I think of pilgrims, you think of that holiday called Thanksgiving, right? Well, pilgrims in this situation, they are, they, they are people living in a foreign land that's not their own. They are people that are traveling. They're sojourners. They're passing through. He says here, uh, the elect, the sanctified saints, right? He's speaking to them, but he's also speaking to us. Because this is the thing about pilgrims. You're, you're awaiting that day when you get to go back home. And our home is heaven. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. And because of that simple fact, Peter wants to remind us through this first chapter, this is what you have to get, look forward to. In chapter, I'm sorry, verse 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice. This is referring back to all the things that Peter's talking about here. Verses 3 through 5, he says, check this out. This is what you get. Because you are following me, you have the living hope of Jesus. Not only that, you have this incorruptible inheritance. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. I love this. Peter's saying, don't rejoice in trials. Don't rejoice in politics. Don't, don't rejoice in your paycheck. Rejoice in the simple fact, the certainty of eternity. You are certain, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ tonight, heaven is secure. It's, it's guaranteed to you. That's something to be rejoicing about. And if you're not rejoicing, you need to be rejoicing. Turn that person next to you and say, you need to be rejoicing by heaven. Tell them that. You need to be rejoicing. But you got to do it with a smile. Somebody like, you're rejoicing by heaven. No, that don't count. That, let me just tell you, that doesn't count. It's got to be real, right? So Peter here, he's talking to a group of people. This is not their home. We're heaven-bound, church. And soon, we're going to see our king. And as he's writing to them, he wants to remind them of this. Because in the very next verses... There's some stuff that's going to happen. There's just things that are going to transpire in our lives as believers. He says you have this incorruptible inheritance reserved in heaven. I love this, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. God is keeping you. And I know for some of us, there's moments when you're ready to just like throw in the towel. Moments you're ready, this is just too hard. Uh, moments where you think there's just too many trials coming upon me. God keeps you. He keeps it to himself. The world can do what they do, but church, Christian, you belong to him. You're his beloved. And because of that simple fact, guess what? This is what he says in verse 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. 
In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. So what he's talking about here, in this you greatly rejoice, heaven. But for a little while, ah, a little while. When I tell you a little while, your thought would be, okay, maybe five minutes, maybe 15 minutes, maybe an hour is a little while, but God's economy of time is not the same as mine, right? There's this word that God, it's the P word, it's the patience, right? Second uh, Peter 3.8 says, a thousand years is like a day to the Lord, and a day is like what? A thousand years. God is not confined or restrained to our measurement of time, is he? God is above, he's beyond time. And I love that because he says here, though for a little while, if need be, if it's necessary, I love the fact that Jesus knows what I need before I even think I need it, right? Some of you here tonight need to be corrected by the Lord, amen? Oh, look at that. No one said amen. All right. Some of you here need to be comforted by the Lord, amen? Amen. Why is that louder now, right? Comfort, correction, it's all the same from the Lord, right? So when we look at this, when we're looking at these scriptures here, God, would you speak to my heart that even though that little while, it's it's not what I intend it to be, but what you intended to be for myself. He says here real simply, if necessary, you have been grieved. I believe the Greek is lopeo, that's the word, and it's, it's a sadness, it's an anxiety, it's, it's this uh, heaviness in your heart. You ever had days when you're just heavy in your heart? It's like the weight of the world, uh, the sins of your day, the problems and concerns are weighing down on you, and you, could, you can't really walk the walk. You can't really move forward. That's what this word grieve means, lupeo, right? It's the same word. It's, it's the same word where you ever have those moments in life where you feel like you're, you're kicked in the gut. Oh, you got the weak knees, uh, the tear-filled filled eyes. It's like you, you lose your appetite. You, you lack sleep. You have no motivation. You know those moments in life, folks, right? Where it's like the rug's been pulled out from under you. That same word, lopeo, grieved, is the same word. You're familiar with the story of the rich young ruler? He went to Jesus. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, have you obeyed the commandments? Yep, 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 yep. And Jesus says, well, I got one thing for you. Sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. And this man was wealthy And he walked away grieved. He was heavy in his heart because he couldn't decide. Are you here tonight? And you're you're carrying a weight. You're carrying sin. You're carrying addiction. You're carrying uh, an illness. You're carrying relationship issues. You're carrying something and, and God says, give it to me. But for whatever reason, you, you can't let it go. Well, I pray tonight you would let it go. You would give it to God. He said, you've been grieved by various trials. Various trials. I I believe the King James Version says, manifold temptations. Manifold temptations. That's a lot of syllables there, okay? But various trials. There's a multifaceted amount of trials in our life. There's death. There's disease. There's discouragement. So I'm going to need some help here. So uh, when I say the word various trials... I want you to throw out the first 
trial or thing that comes to your mind. Maybe it's something personal. Maybe it's something that someone's going through. But we're going to try this as a church, okay? Just so that we know we're all on the same page when I say various trials. Does that make sense? So I'm going to say various trials. You're going to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Got it? Ready? One, two, three. Okay, that wasn't everybody. That person over there and that person over there. Okay, we're going to try it again. Try it again. If the person's not saying anything, nudge them. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Okay. I love this because God, more than likely, no, he has. He heard some of you say the same thing because you're going through it. I think oftentimes when we say trials or storms or fiery moments, there's something that hits our heart because it's something that we're personally going through. Peter is talking to a group of people who knows this is not their home, but they're living here. On this side of heaven, there's going to be trials. While we're still in our bodies, while we're still on planet Earth, you're going to go through difficult circumstances no matter what. Peter says here, you've been grieved by various trials. So whether it's hardships, whether it's disappointments, you ever get that late night phone call or that disturbing text? Maybe that tough conversation. Uh, Oftentimes God will throw us a curveball, something we weren't expecting. And sometimes you almost have to scratch your head, why, why did God allow that? Why not them? Why me? Why is this affecting me, right? James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 says, My brethren, count it all joy whenever you face trials of any kind, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let me read you the New Living Translation. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I want you to know something about James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if, but when you fall into various trials. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you this. Trials are inevitable, are they not? If you are human, if you breathe, if you have people around you, there will be trials. We will face troubling times and difficult days. And because of that simple fact, we have a choice. I love this because I love Jesus, because we love Jesus. We know we're going to get to our destination, amen? We know that's happening. But the road, sometimes there's going to be some speed bumps, there's going to be some potholes. I was going to make a sound of it. Right? You know, whatever. But there's going to be moments in our faith, in our Christianity, where that road to our destination, it's going to rock our world. And maybe you're there. Maybe you're there in that moment. I love this story in chap- uh, Mark chapter 4. Let's turn it real quick. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. Most of you know the story. Jesus tells the disciples, let's go to the other side of the sea. Um, if you ever, ever get, this is a plug for next year's Israel trip. If you ever, ever get a chance to go to Israel, you need to go, okay? I had the opportunity to go last May with the church. It was unbelievable. We got to go to the Sea of Galilee there, and we were worshiping, and it was so calm and smooth and just beautiful. And you're thinking, Jesus was here. Well, maybe not where we were, but he was here on this Sea of Galilee, right? 
Well, here in this particular passage, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not know, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So this is a trial. This is a storm for the disciples. This is a test. This is a moment where they can exercise their faith or show their lack of faith. Anyone here going through a storm? Imagine this. The disciples, here they are. And, and, and the Sea of Galilee is known for storms just erupt at any moment because of the atmosphere, because of the wind, because of the cold air, because of the warm air. And it just, in the middle of the day, a storm can erupt. Day, night, what have you. As they're crossing over the winds and the waves, even to the point that the boat is filling with water. If that was me, I'd be scared, correct? And where's Jesus? He's over there sleeping. So they wake him up. And I wonder, Jesus, what is it now, right? And as he's there, peace be still. Maybe that's what God just needs to tell you tonight. Peace be still. Be still and know that he's God. Maybe tonight you just need to know and you just need to hold on to Psalm 46 and say, God, help me to be still. Help me not to move. The beauty in all this, I love this, is that Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says, real simply, check it out. Then they came to the other side of the sea. They got to the other side. When Jesus says we're going to get to the other side, we're going to get to the other side. He keeps his promise. If you're in the midst of a storm right now, guess what? There is another side. It's easy to look around and be in despair of all the things that are going on. Uh, but I love this. Don't forget who's in your boat. Who is in the disciples' boat asleep? Jesus, right? When you face trials of many kind, Jesus is there with you. And sometimes he may be silent. I love this. Silence doesn't mean God isn't there. Silence is me to exercise my faith, to believe what God has already told me. Do you realize that? If you're a parent here, Sometimes you get tired of telling your kids the same thing over and over again. Amen? And sometimes you don't say anything. Does that change the truth? No. Does that mean that you've left and abandoned them? No. Sometimes we think God is left when he is silent. When he is just merely waiting to see what we're going to do next. Are we going to trust him? Are we going to believe him? And these trials, these things that come upon our hearts and our minds, you may be sitting here today and you're like the disciples. There's three groups of people here tonight. Uh, there's sires. When I say sires, that, uh, when you sigh. Everyone know what it means to sigh? 
<sighs> Emily, you hear you. One, two, three. <sighs> okay. There's sires. There's smilers. Everyone smile. Smile. Okay. And then today there's neither sires or smilers. They're just kind of a neutral face. Give me a neutral face. Okay. That's too neutral. Okay. So the sires, guess what? You're in the middle of a trial. So if you are in the middle of a trial of storm, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. It's okay. Okay. You are in the middle of a trial right now. It's a storm. The water is filling up. The winds and the waves are going on. My encouragement to you, say, Jesus, be my peace. Peace be still. What does John chapter 16, verse 33 says, right? Don't worry. I have overcome the world. In this world, you have tribulation. But take courage. Stand strong. For I have overcome the world. That's one group of us, sires. Let me hear you sigh. (sighs) But Jesus is my peace. The other group of you are smilers. You know why you're smiling? Because you just finished a trial. Amen? How many of you here just finished a trial? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. You're just like, you're smiling. It's like, thank you, Jesus. Right? Because you know his faithfulness. And why? Because you've experienced it. Aren't there things in life that God gives you that you flat out don't deserve his grace? It's like, I really don't deserve that, but you still give it to me, and I don't get it, but I receive it. And the third of you, the third group of you, you're neither smilers or sires. You're, you know why? Because it's coming. Do you realize that? If trials are inevitable, and you're not in the middle of a trial, and you're not in the end of the trial, guess what's coming up? A trial. How many are there? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You, you're not in a trial. You, you, you just finished a trial. Okay? Guess what? Turn that person next to you. Pray for me, bro. Pray for me, sis, because it's coming, right? It's coming soon. In the midst of that, say, Jesus is my joy. See, each of us are in a different season. I think in the King James, that, that version says, in a little while, it talks about for a season, some of you here today, you're in a desert with the Lord. It's been rough. It's been barren. You're reading the Bible and it's just, it's just not, you're not feeling what you should be feeling or you think you should be feeling. Some of you are on the mountaintop. Go tell it on the, right, mountain. I mean, I'm not going to do that, but you're just feeling like, whoa. Some of you are in that road of suffering. Some of you are, are in the valley of the shadow of death. Each of us are in a different spot, but I love this. The Bible says Jesus Christ, what? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change up on us based on the season in our life. Trials not only are inevitable, not only are they seasonal, but trials will reveal our faith. Whether our faith is weak, whether our faith is strong, whether it's genuine, right? That word genuine, it says here, that the genuineness of your faith. I want to take a look at that real quick. That the genuineness, it's authentic. It's not fake. It's not counterfeit. It's the real deal. Are you merely a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus? When Jesus was on this earth, he had a lot of people who thought they knew how to follow him. But in John chapter 6, verse 66, it said, when they said, this is a hard saying, and many left. Let's not be part of the many. Let's not just be fans of what Jesus does for us, but let us be followers of him. 
I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. See, to be genuine in your faith, to be the real deal, to not just merely make a superficial profession of faith, but to be committed to Christ. One of the stories I love when I think about being genuine or being uh, fake is in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Most of you know the story. It's a story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Both men, opposite sides of the spectrum, both opposite sides of the track, the Pharisee, a religious man, outwardly, a tax collector. You have a religious professional and you have a professional crook. Remember, tax collectors during that time would, would, would take a little off the top, would get, take a little bit of the money from themselves. So these two men go to the temple to pray. And as they go to the temple to pray, the Pharisee, this outwardly religious man, comes boldly. And I love this because it's seen through his prayer. He says, God, thank you that I'm not like that extortioner. Yeah, thank you, God, that I'm not that adulterer. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that unjust man. Thank you, God, I'm not even like this tax collector. That's what he says. Because I fast twice a week, get it? Twice a week, God, and I give all my tithes of all I possess. See, he prayed not to be seen and heard by God, but he prayed to be seen and heard by men. Be very careful when we pray. That we're praying to the one who created us. Check this out. I think I counted. That was 33 words. The tax collector, he knew he was a sinner. He comes and he comes at a distance. He can't even look up. He can't even lift up his eyes and he beats his chest in grief, in repentance. And he says this, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Seven words. 33 words of the Pharisee. Seven words of the tax collector. Genuine and authentic. With humility and transparency, the tax collector bared his soul. But in hypocrisy, in a mask of religion, the Pharisee prayed a prayer out loud. The tax collector, substance of faith, the Pharisee, just the appearance of faith. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, let's not just have the appearance of godliness because we lose the power in that. Let's just not have the look and the shirt and the, and, and the gear. You know, I love, I love Christian t-shirts. Don't get me wrong. Got Jesus. I love it. But let not that just be something that you wear for the sake of others, but maybe branded, imprinted on our hearts that I got Jesus and I want the whole world to know. These two very different men come to the temple to pray. Let's take a word of encouragement from the tax collector. Let's exemplify that. Because see what was going on the inside came out on the outside. Jesus, I love it. He's all about the heart, isn't he? In 2 Samuel what did I say? God, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the, the heart. He's looking. What does he see tonight? What does he see in each of us tonight? But he says here that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, 
that your faith is more precious than gold. I, you got to love this because I value things more highly than they ought to be. God values those things that are eternal. You have gold, which is the most, one of the most durable materials in the world. You can do anything to it, and it lasts. And Jesus said, right, that let's not put our treasures in the things of this world. Peter is once again reiterating that. He's saying, hey, your faith, your genuine faith is more precious than gold that perishes. My brothers and sisters, let's, let's, let's put our deposits into eternity. Our bank accounts, our 401ks, that will eventually fade, will it not? Right? There's things that we possess, there's things that we hold on to that do not last. Let's put our time, our effort, our giftings into those things that will last. And it says here that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Uh, if you've ever put your hand over fire, does it hurt? Yes. If you put it there long enough, what's going to happen? It's going to burn. Right? Fire is one of those agents that, that Peter is referring to here. Because of the fire, it's going to test whether something is genuine or not. And what it's testing is our faith, right? That the best way to purify is to refine. That word to refine, uh, to try something, to melt it uh, in a furnace. Uh, most of you guys know uh, the analogy or the, the idea of the profession back in the day during the times of Jesus and even the Old Testament of a refiner, a goldsmith. Someone who would take a, 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 a rock that would contain some hidden value of minerals, maybe some gold particles in there. And what he would do, he would take this ore and he would break it down and he would put it into what's called a crucible. And this crucible, uh, as he breaks it down, would be a fireproof melting pot. And as he puts this uh, a piece of brittle rock in there, and he puts it on a fiery furnace. As he puts it on a fiery furnace, what starts to happen is this rock becomes liquefied. And as he turns up the heat, the dross, the impurities, surface, come to the top, and he would take this little uh, strainer, spatula thing, he would take it out. And the way to purify it would be to turn up the heat. And the more you would turn up the heat, guess what? More dross, more impurities would come up to the top, and he would skim that off. He would continue this process several times. And as he continues the process, he would know that it's at its highest value of being pure is when the refiner, the goldsmith, could look into this liquid gold and he would be able to see his reflection. Refiner's fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy. A song that we used to sing many years ago. Is that your heart's desire, that God will refine you? Well, I'll tell you this. With a refining comes the heat. Can you handle the heat? What does it say? If you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen, right? If you can't handle it, knowing it's for a good purpose, knowing that God has his intentions in mind for you, God wants to purify us. And uh, we have God who is our master refiner. He wants to conform you more into his image. 
And that's why he allows these circumstances to come into your life. That's why he's allowed these things to come upon my life. Because he knows, he sees the end product. And I love it. The heat is never intended to destroy us. The heat is intended to purify us. And so there are moments, isn't it, when you feel like, I can't take any more, God. Guess what happens? There is one more thing. I can't take any more, God. There is one more thing. I really can't take any more. And he'll take one off. Whew. I can't take any more. He'll put one on, right? God, thank you. He'll take one off. You get the point? In this greatly rejoice, though for a little while you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, is tested by fire. How is the genuineness of your faith tested through fire? One person who understood this was Job. Job, through a lot of painful trials in his life, losing his family, losing his riches, having boils upon his body, losing his health, he understood that God approved of these things, but also that pain, the pain that God allowed was for a purpose. If you're experiencing uh, pain, sorrow, grief, suffering, there is a purpose for it. I don't know what it is, but he does. And that's all that matters, isn't it? If this is the God who created you, who knows, who formed you, who knows your insides, your outsides, he knows your mind, he knows your tendencies, don't you trust him to turn up or turn down the heat when necessary? Right? Do we have any bakers in the house of God today? Any bakers? I really like cookies. Okay, so if you're a baker, right, you know after you make a batch of, let's say, chocolate chip cookies, you know the exact temperature to put that on, don't you? Because you've had experience. God is very, inexper- very experienced in knowing what you can handle and what you can't handle. Some of you are going through some trials that he knows I can't handle. Do you know that? That's why I don't have that trial. I don't, I'm not walking through that storm. I'm not going through that fire trial because he knows, Dennis, you can't hang You're going to cry. You're going to whimper. That's why I don't allow you through that. But for so-and-so over there and -and so-and-so over there, they can handle it. When those moments come, remember what Job 23.10 says, But he knows where I'm going, and when he tests me, I will come out as gold. Job already understood. He had a concept. That this purification, this refining process is what God wanted for him. Don't run. I know sometimes our tendency is to run for difficult, from difficult times. Run from confrontation. To run. But accept it. Receive it. There's a quote by George Mueller. He says, If we desire our faith to be strengthened, we should not shrink from opportunities where our faith may be tried. And therefore, through trial be strengthened. God wants our faith to be strengthened. God wants us to be strong men and women of God that stand upon the word of God, that take in the word of God, that give out the word of God. That's what he's called us to. 
That's what he's called all of us to. And having an understanding. And, and when I think about this, oftentimes God will allow the fire to strip away things. God will often allow fire to strip away those artificial layers about ourselves. There's a song called The Heart of Worship. And the first verse says, When the music fades, all is stripped away. And I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. When the music fades and all is stripped away, do you still have a love song for your Savior? That's a tough question to ask. If you were like Job and everything was stripped from you, taken from you, and I love this, Job says, naked I came into this world, naked I go out. He gives, he takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. He had that understanding. And oftentimes for us as believers, we forget that. We forget that faith is tested to show us that our faith is genuine, that that there's strength, that God wants to purify it. A story that I often refer to in Daniel chapter 3. The story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And the fiery furnace. Let me remind you. They are there serving under King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar builds this great uh, statue of himself. And he sends a, a command throughout all the land. He says, okay, when you hear the sound, when you hear the music, bow down to this statue of me. He's very modest, very humble guy, right? And so as he's there, these three guys, these three Jewish young men, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, when the music comes, what happens? They don't bow down. This upsets Nebuchadnezzar. And guess what he says? Throw them into the fiery furnace. And as he throws Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, because they wouldn't bow down to the statue, because they would not bow down to the world. The only one way they bowed down to was to their God. As they're in there, the fiery furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar looks and he sees one, two, three, four. He tells his men, hey, did we not cast three? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Why, why are there four men there? And he looks closely and what does he say? The fourth looks like the son of God. Jesus. Jesus is in there with them. And the funny thing is they're walking. They're walking in the midst of the fire. They're not being burned. Their clothes aren't cinched. They are walking freely in the midst of the fire. Let me tell you this. Without Christ, they would have gotten burned. But with Christ, they were protected. When you go through your fire... When you go through confrontation, when you go through affliction, when you go through those moments that you believe no one in this world will be able to understand, he is with you. He is with you. Trials just don't purify us merely. They don't just reveal our, our genuine faith. Trials remind us that he is with us. No matter what. Has that disease persisted? And to no avail, the treatment isn't helping. Maybe tonight your marriage is on the rocks. You've lost a sense of what God's love for each other is. Maybe tonight your child is rebelling against you and against God, and it's affecting your whole family. Maybe the unemployment, maybe the bills, 
Maybe the physical challenge, maybe the mental challenges, maybe the spiritual challenges. Maybe you just can't get yourself to pray. Whatever that is, Isaiah 43 verse 2 says this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. Let me tell you this. God sees the big picture for your life, does he not? He sees the beginning and the end. And Philippians says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. He's got the beginning. He's got the end. We just got the middle. And because of that simple fact, when God turns up the heat in your life, the intensity of that flame, it's to draw out the impurities and the dross. But I love this. That refiner, that goldsmith, his eye is always on the crucible. He never takes his eyes off. So when he knows that the heat gets a little bit too much, he'll turn it down. God knows what he's doing. And so this hurt and pain and anguish that might be going on in your life, remember, God knows the end results. This, as believers, when our genuine faith has been proven through the trials, the Bible says that we'll receive God's praise at the return of Jesus Christ. That we may be found to praise, honor, glory, and revelation of Jesus Christ. One sweet day, folks, because we've lived our life for the Lord and we've chosen to weather these storms, one day he say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your salvation. Enter in. Good job. You've done well. Oftentimes, there are moments we don't feel like we've done well, correct? Moments where we feel like, I messed up again. I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just thought that. I love Hebrews chapter 11 when it talks about these men of faith. Nowhere in that chapter does it talk about their shortcomings. It talks about those things that they did for the Lord. Man, folks, sometimes we focus on the things that we didn't do right as opposed to the things that God has done right through us. He who is in you is greater than he that's in this world. Let's not forget that. Yes, we're sinners saved by grace. Yes, our mind drifts. Yes, our, our, our mind wanders. But the God who's created me and the Holy Spirit that's in me can say and do those things that are not of me. As it goes on, it says, whom, verse 8, whom you have not seen you love, though you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Whom you have not seen you love. Not only do trials strengthen our faith, but they deepen our love, doesn't it? That because of trials in our life, we just have a greater appreciation, uh, a greater depth for God's love. And it says, though you, now you do not see him yet believing. Sometimes seeing doesn't always lead to belief, does it? There are people who have seen miracles and yet they still don't believe. But I love this. Peter had a personal encounter with Jesus for three years and then thereafter. And Peter is writing, remember he's writing to pilgrims, he's writing to men and women who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. 
And as they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they're going through turmoil. They're going through persecution. They're being dogged out by the world. And Peter is saying, don't forget heaven. It's almost as saying, uh, heaven is approaching. It's the next exit. It's coming soon. In this you greatly rejoice. Jesus told Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. I love the fact, uh, there's nothing better than to see a believer in Jesus Christ going through a trial, a fiery moment, uh, going through the storm, still praising God. There's a, is it the Casting Crowns, that song, I will praise you in the storm? There's nothing better than that because you know it's not them, but it's Christ in them, the hope of glory, that's seeing them through those moments. When my wife and I got married um, we married for about six months, and as we had gotten married, my wife calls me in the morning. She says, I'm going to urgent care. Okay, what's going on? She's like, I- I'm bleeding. Okay, that's not good, you know? And she goes, and they, they tell her that she has a fibroid in her uterus, and at the same time, you have a fibroid in your uterus, and you're pregnant. I'm like, what? You're right. But they said, you're probably going to lose the baby because of the fibroid, it's going to get too big and the baby's not going to, it's not, it's not, it's not going to develop. So she's crying, I'm crying, and just trying to figure out what to do. And so what they're wanting her to do is just to get a DNC, get rid of the baby. And I'm like, okay. And we prayed. And isn't God great? He provides, there's a doctor at Downey Regional, Dr. Park. Dr. Park's a believer. Dr. Park Korean, grew up as a missionary kid in Brazil. So we go, we counsel with him, and he looks at us in his Korean eyes. He looks at us and he says, this baby will live. I'm like, we claim it in Jesus' name, right? And he gave us a list of things to do. And and what had to happen, my wife, while the baby was there, had to go and, and get surgery to get this fibroid removed. Very risky, And we prayed, and it was a trial. It was like, all right, God, you brought us here, and we want to believe, but what if we believe and, and something happens? You ever think about that, right? I want to believe you, but then I have unbelief. This fiery trial, right? And I remember we, we, we tossed, we turned, we, uh, she had to stay home, and, and we had the surgery, and, and, and the doctor part comes out, and he's like, Surgery was a success, and you even showed me a Polaroid or a fibroid, okay? Like, I really didn't want to see that, Dr. Park, okay? Um, and the beautiful thing, uh, the rest of the pregnancy was great. Uh, Joel, JJ, is our nine-year-old, and he's running around crazy as can be. But I think, what if we listen to man and not God? How many times, when you're in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your fiery trial, have you listened to man and not God? I love this, though. You and I, when we go through our trials, you get to be a walking billboard for Jesus Christ. It hurts. I'm in pain, but Jesus is with me. What a testimony that you get to show off God to people who don't believe in God. When you go through your moments of anguish, of suffering. We rejoice with inexpressible joy. It's that Jesus smile, right? You ever been around people that have the infectious, contagious smile? You can't help but get excited, right? 
That's what we want. So people would say, you're different. There's something about you. What, what is it about you? Jesus. Romans 8.28. We know this, and I'll end here. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And we know, check this out, it doesn't say, and we will see all things work together. It doesn't say see, right? It just says we know. We may not see things change in a month, in a year, for a lifetime, but guess what? It says we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. See, the Bible doesn't say we see it, but we know it. That's belief. That's faith. That's faith to know that when you go through your moments of life, Jesus is with you. Isaiah 61 verse 3 says, To counsel those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. And kind of what God was impressing upon my heart today there's some here tonight, you got the spirit of heaviness. You've been heavy. There's a lot of things that have been weighing upon you. And I, uh, the Lord is kind of impressing for us to just pray, to pray for one another. And I'm going to pray right now. And as Sarah and Lily and the worship team come back up, it's just we want this to be a time of the Lord to minister to us. If you're in the midst of a trial, if you're in the midst of turmoil, if you're going through things in your life that you're looking at God like, I don't get this, God. If you're thinking, I'm so confused by this. We want to take some time to pray. We want to take some time and say, God, help. Lord, save me. Anyone need that prayer tonight? Lord, save me. Lord, protect me. Lord, help me. The water is filling up in the boat. And Jesus, you're asleep. Would you wake up? Would you help me? Let's pray. Father God, we just want to come tonight and we want to thank you. Thank you, God, when we're tested by fire, when there's tragedy all around us, when there's death and mourning and grief. When our heart is overwhelmed, lead us to the rock that's higher than us. When our flesh and our heart fail us, remind us you're our portion, you're our everything, God. Father, we ask even now, Lord, that you just begin to minister to my heart, God. I, I, I need your touch. I need, I need your voice. I, I need you. Lord, we need you every hour. And so even tonight, God, if there be some tonight that need you, that need that word, that need that bit of comfort and peace, that need that joy back in their heart. God, that they would receive from you. You know what, tonight, if if you're weary and heavy laden, if you've got burdens, if you've been trying to carry this and do this on your own, I'm going to ask that you just stand. Would you just do that? If you're going through a trial or a storm tonight, just stand doesn't matter where you are, who you're at, but just stand to your feet because we just want to be, we want to be church tonight. <laughs> we want to be the body of Christ. If, if, if you're going through a moment and maybe God is saying, I want you to walk on water, 
and you're not going to sink. It's going to be there. If you're, if you're around somebody who's standing, would you just place your hand over them? If you're around, just look around. Just, just place your hand on them. Maybe it's been a long time since someone has placed their hand upon that person. And God, we pray for those that are standing today that are in the midst of a trial. God, would you be their peace? Would you be their song? Would you be their everything, God? Would they know, Father, that they belong to you? And that this trial is for a season, it's for a little while. And even though they're being tested in the fiery, the fiery furnace, and even though they're feeling as if they have no more strength, God, that you remind them that you are with them. Father, I pray for the, a healing upon those that are standing today. If there, there is sickness in their life, God, would you remind them you're the God who heals. If some are brokenhearted tonight, would you heal that broken heart? If some maybe even mentally, emotionally, God, they're, 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 they're havoced by their past or how they missed the mark, God, would you minister to them? Lord, I pray for those even tonight, God, that are going through some financial turmoil, God. Maybe employment, maybe some tonight going through relationship issues in their family, God. Would you be the God of salvation for them tonight, God? And they would know, they would know, Father, that you don't leave them and you don't forsake them. You never abandon them, God. So I thank you, Lord, for what you want to continue to do in our hearts and our minds even today, this evening, God. Thank you for these that humbly have come before you to stand and to, to lift up our hands in praise, to, to give themselves completely to you, God. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.